Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, here's this week's message. Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. Uh, if you've got a Bible, if you want to open up to the book of Genesis, that's our study is continuing. And uh, if you want to open up to Genesis chapter 7, we're going to cover several chapters this morning. And while you're turning there, let me say thank you to uh, our church family. Uh, just if you missed last weekend, what a great weekend in the life of our uh, men. And uh, our breakout leaders were humbled and truly blessed by the hospitality of Crossroads. And uh, my friend Chris Swanson, Sheriff Chris Swanson, somebody said, how do you know him? I said, that's a story for another time. Uh, Sheriff Chris Swanson was blessed and uh, also Dr. Neelan Brown uh, was tremendously blessed, and uh, they both said, if you ever do that again, we would love to come back and be among the folks of Crossroads, and of course, those who visited. So thank you for your, uh, for your love to them. And uh, also, thanks for your prayers this week. I had the privilege this week on Tuesday morning to speak to the students at Louisiana Christian University, and uh, I was encouraged. Uh, I know it's... Um, you know, you look around and you see some of the things that are happening in the world, and it's easy, even as a Christ follower, to lose hope. But I've got some news for you this morning. I know who wins in the end. I've read the end of the book. And uh, God is not through. He is still working, and He's working among uh, young people and college students and high school students and children. And uh, even in our own church, just so you know, uh, this past Wednesday, I had the opportunity to kind of sneak in and sit in the back of our youth service upstairs, and uh, I walked away blown away what I saw. A lot of us as adults don't see a lot of other activities and other age groups and what's happening in the church, but Wednesday night was totally led by the students Wednesday night. Even the message from... Timothy Wacker, and buddy, you did fantastic, fantastic job sharing God's Word. So, if you're here today and discouraged, look around. God's still working. He's still working. And if you've got your Bible, let's look at Genesis. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 7 in just a minute, but uh, last week, Neelan did a fantastic job walking us through uh, the fall of man, what's known as the fall of man and the original sin. We know that God had His plan for us was to live in paradise, yes, to work, but to live in paradise and in complete fellowship with Him. But sin entered into the world and changed that picture dramatically. And uh, Neelan walked us through that last week. But as he ended chapter 4, he reminded us the end of chapter 4, if you le read the last verse, says, at that time men began to call on the name of the Lord. And most of us know, if you've been in church at any time, if you haven't, that's okay, we're glad that you're here today. That the story of the scripture is kind of that roller coaster ride of people 
going to God and then turning their back away from God and falling to sin and then realizing their need for God and going back to God and then turning their back on God and then going back to God. Yeah, just like your life and like my life, right? And in chapter 5, we get the whole genealogy. Uh, I'll encourage you to read that, where we follow through from Adam and Eve all the way down through many generations, and we finally land on the next person of importance that God wanted us to know about for whatever reason, uh, a guy named Noah. And Noah, all throughout Genesis chapter 6, you'll see certain verses after you find out in chapter 6 verse 5, it says the land was wicked. And there was all kinds of people turning their back against God, turning their things against their minds and their hearts against the things of God. Verse 6 of chapter 6 says, It so bothered God that the Lord was grieved, and yet there was this one man, Noah, chapter 6 verse 8 says, who found favor with God. And we find out about what Noah's assignment becomes, because if you read in chapter 6 verses 14 through 21, I encourage you to read that, God comes to Noah and says, I'm going to destroy the earth. You have found favor in the sight of God. And so your instructions are to build an ark. Now, we may think about that and think, wow, that's, you know, Noah did everything God told him. So God comes to him and gives him instructions to build an ark. No big deal. But if you know the Bible and you know from the beginning of creation... Noah's building this ark, and he's given instructions to build this ark for this great flood is to come. But nobody at that point has seen what we call rain. And so Noah's set of instructions, if I'm Noah and I've been given these instructions to build this ark, Noah's different than me, thank God he is, because he just says, yes, Lord. I would have gone, no, just wait a minute, God, hold on a second. Describe this thing called rain, and and what's going to happen, and water's going to come from the earth, and water's going to come from the sky, and... I would have had a lot of questions, but we find out that Noah, in chapter 7, doesn't ask a lot of questions of the Lord. Let's pick it up, the story in verse 5. Noah actually, chapter 7, verse 5, says this, "...did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. And he was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth." Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood, of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground. There went into the ark uh, with Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventh day of the month, on the same day, God's pretty specific, isn't he? If you ever wonder what God's told you to do, God is always specific, and He's very specific in His words as He was in that verse. Just all these timelines, the second month, the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were open, and the rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and for 40 nights. On that very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with him, entered into the ark. That they and every beast of its kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds, they all went into the ark with Noah by twos of all flesh in which was the breadth of life and those that entered male and female of all flesh entered as God had commanded him and the Lord closed it up behind them 
Let's stop right there for just a second. You know, you look at what is going on in our world, and I have heard people say that if our world continues to careen in the direction that it's going, that God owes Noah an apology. Because you look at what happened at the world, all the corruption and the wickedness, and God got so frustrated and he was so grieved that he said, I'm going to destroy the earth, I'm going to destroy everybody except I've found one righteous man. He gave him instructions to build this ark. He builds the ark and we read that the waters begin to come and the waters rise. And we're going to talk about some of the details in that in just a minute. But here's the reality. God will always judge sin. I don't know about you, but I look at some of the things that happen in the world and what people get away with, and I think, how did they get away with that? But God will always judge sin. And what may be scary to you, and it's scary to me, is that God will always judge sin in my life and always judge sin in your life. And i got to be honest, as I read these chapters uh, over and over again over the last couple of weeks, uh, it's a little frightening. Because it makes you really take a spiritual inventory of yourself and see, okay, what am I actually doing as Noah did all that the Lord commanded me? And so I just want to share three observations that I get from Noah's story this morning. And the first one is this. God's judgment on the earth is a fact. It happened in Genesis. It will one day happen again. We'll talk about that in a minute. It is happening all throughout history. God does not stand in the corner and is not going to be mocked. He's not going to let people get away with mocking him and making fun of him. At some point, judgment is coming. And for the people in Noah's day, judgment came. It came in the form of a flood. Wickedness, we find out in chapter 6 that wickedness was in the land. The earth was corrupt. But thankfully, there was one person who prevented immediate judgment, and his name was Noah. In chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, we read that Noah was found favor with God, that he was a righteous man. And while God will judge sin, and while God's judgment is on the earth, I, I asked myself this question this week. I wonder, what is holding back at this point God's judgment on the world? I think Scripture would back me up on this, but I think one of the things that's holding God's judgment back is there are some righteous people still living. There's some righteous people who want to see God do His work. There's some righteous people that want to see God show up. There are righteous people who want to see those that don't know Jesus yet come to know Jesus. Those people who are seeking after God are literally, I believe, holding back the judgment and the wrath of God on the world. I hear some people oftentimes pray this prayer God, just send your judgment, and I cringe because I'm thinking, I'm not sure you really know what you're praying for. I want God's mercy, even in my own life. I want God's grace, as we sung about this morning. So while it is true that judgment on the earth is a fact, what's also true is God is still speaking, God is still giving instructions, and God is giving instructions to those people who are listening. So I wrote down some questions for me in my notes this week. Are you listening? Jack, are you listening? Because God has instructions for you. God has instructions for me. Or am I so busy talking, or am I so busy with my own agenda, that I don't have time to listen to the instructions of God? I was talking to a pastor friend of mine while I was in Louisiana on Tuesday. 
I came back Wednesday and Tuesday. I rode over to Shreveport to meet with him. Uh, some of you may know his name if I said it, so I won't embarrass him uh, since this is going to be out on the internet. But we had an interesting discussion because of some things that he, uh, some things he's struggling with when it comes to church life, some things he's struggling with when it even comes to Baptist life, things I'm struggling with when it comes to Baptist life. And here's what can happen. It's very subtle how the enemy works. God can get our focus, Satan can get our focus on our agenda instead of God's agenda. And all of a sudden we wonder why judgment is coming. It's because we have taken our eyes off of the focus. And we have started listening to a different agenda instead of the agenda of God. Thankfully there was one man on the planet at that time who hearkened his ear to the Lord and said, I'm listening, and God spoke and Noah did what God commanded him to do. And if you read chapter 6 of Genesis, you'll see that statement over and over again. Noah did what God commanded. Noah did what God commanded. Noah did what God commanded. I don't know about you, but you think of the task of literally being the one who is going to take his family into this ark, repopulate the earth, What a monumental task and what a monumental responsibility that is that God assigned to Noah. Maybe today you're looking for a monumental responsibility and wondering, why has God not given that to me? Let me ask you a question. Can he trust you? I see some people in the world being mightily used of God, and I'm just like you. Sometimes I ask a question, God, why why are you doing something mighty in their life? And the voice that comes back to my spirit is, can I trust you? Can I trust you? Over and over and over, the scripture says to us that Noah did what God commanded him to do. The reason I think God entrusted him with this monumental task is because he knew he would accomplish it. He knew he could trust Noah to actually do what he had been asked to do. And Noah did everything God commanded him. But the second thing I see here in this story that's very important is God, in his providence, provided the means of escape. He provided the means of escape. And the ark was that escape. And what we read about in Genesis chapter 7, the verses that we just read, is Noah went about the process of building this ark. Some people have said, well, how long did it take? That's a great question. Because if you study the genealogy, and I wish we had time to do this this morning, because we're kind of hyperspeed going through the book of Genesis. But if you study the genealogy and you understand when Noah started building the ark and all of a sudden we read in that chapter that he took his family and his sons and his sons' wives and their kids in the ark, there's some length of time that has passed by there. As a matter of fact, when you read uh, the beginning of chapter 7 and it says, then the Lord said to Noah, there's some time that's passed between the end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7. And if you line up all the genealogy... Scholars will say it took somewhere between 55 and 70 years to build the ark. Let that sink in. You guys get that? 55 to 75 years 
Now, I know the uh, Bruce Almighty, Evan Almighty movies and some of the movies about building the ark make it look like it was a simple process. But, my dear friends, can you imagine for 55 to 75 years doing what you think God has called you to do? And I imagine, this is not in the scripture, but I imagine, I know people, people haven't changed in hundreds and thousands of years. We're all still the same. We're all still finicky. We're all still skeptical. We all still have our opinion. I can imagine people walking by for 55 to 60 to 65 75 years, depending on what genealogy you want to look at, can you imagine them, Noah, Noah, you've been building this ark for a year, come on man, no rain, no clouds in the sky, come on, another year, another year, a decade, 20, 30, 40, 50, 50, 60 years going by, can you imagine, and yet Noah stayed committed to the task. Because he knew God was going to provide this means of escape. God had told him this is going to be a means of escape for destruction and devastation of the world. i got to be honest, for some of us, especially for some of us who have ADDDDDDDD, it's hard to stay focused for an hour, let alone 50, 60, 70 years. Can you imagine? It's a long time. As I was thinking about that this week, I thought, Wow, you, you think about what Noah did. Yes, he was righteous. Yes, he did what God commanded him to do. But he did a lot of waiting. And I wrote down on my own notes here, we are in the waiting. Now that we've crossed from the Old Testament and the New Testament, that's where we are. We're in this waiting time. And some of us are waiting. We're waiting on Jesus to return because he is ultimately the ark of safety that we're going to run to. The analogy that God has given us here in his word with the story of Noah, which I think is legit, I think it's real, I think it happened. You have to figure out your own opinion about what you think about the scripture. This is not an analogy, it's not a fictional character, it's not a fairy tale story that God's given us to, to have an analogy to Jesus. It is an analogy to Jesus, but this is a real guy that this happened to. For 50, 60 years, being about the task that God's called us to do. I thought a few things this week. I thought a few questions. One thing I thought about was my own life. You know, I want to be found faithful at the end. I want God to say, well done. But can I be honest with you? And I always will be. Man, life is hard. Life is hard. Maybe you've had a hard week, hard month, hard year, hard decade. I can't imagine the intentionality and the focus that it took and the heart and the commitment. It's not a word we like to use in church life much anymore. Commitment to God to say, okay, God, I'm going to stay focused on this task for 50, 60, 70 years. I'm going to stay committed. Did he get weary? I'm sure he probably did, but he still stayed committed. So I thought about my own life. I also thought about Crossroads Baptist Church. I thought about us. I've said this before, and I know some of you, it's sinking in, but maybe for not, not for all of us yet, that's okay. God will get us on the same page. There are people hundreds of years ago that stayed committed to the task of planting Crossroads Baptist Church so that you and I could be seated here today. They didn't just show up one week and go, okay, I'm just... I'm just going to give it here and give it here and walk out. No, they were here 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. 
and they planted their roots. There's, there's so much just from that one point alone in the scripture, we could have a sermon series off of that one point of commitment and longevity. And I thought about in our church and even in my life, in my own personal life, the fruit and the things that I want to see happen. Let me just tell you this, especially for you young people. You won't see fruit in your life till you plant yourself somewhere. And if you're here one day and somewhere else the next day, and that applies to everything. That applies to hopping around from church to church. It applies from career. It applies to commitment to your family, to your bride, to your kids. It applies to everything. I had a friend of mine drop by my house a couple months ago, about 9 o'clock, knocked on the door, came in and sat down, long story short. He said, I'm looking for a job. I said, what's the problem? He said, I'm, i got to move on. I didn't get into the details. He said, i got to move on. He had his resume. I looked at his resume. I said, just to be honest with you, and he was a friend, so he knew I would be, which is why he knocked on my door. I said, just to be honest with you, you look at your resume here, about every 12 to 14 months, you're going somewhere different. And he had said previously, I just want to, I just want to see some great things happen in my life. And I said to him with all the love in my heart, you're never going to see great things happen until you plant yourself somewhere. And when the road gets rough and the going gets rough and the rough gets going, is that how it goes? I can't remember the saying. You know, you pack your bags when things get rough. You're never going to see any fruit. And those of us who are older, who are older, we know that. And so Noah said, I'm going to plant myself here and I'm going to stay committed to what God has told me to do. Regardless of the ridicule, regardless of people who don't agree, regardless of the weather, regardless of whatever happens, I'm going to stay committed. Now let me just be honest with you, church. Because I know there may be some nervousness about where our church is headed in the future and what we're going to do. And I know there's some nervousness about how God's going to provide let me just say, if you haven't figured out that God owns everything on the planet yet, that's the lesson number one you've got to realize. God owns everything. He does not lack for nothing. And if you're wondering if one of the pastors is going to bail because things are going to get hard and we're going to have to figure out being inconvenienced and all that, I just want to tell you, as God is my witness, as long as I have breath in my lungs, I am committed to the task God has called this church to. I'm not going anywhere. Is it going to be hard? Yes. Is it going to be difficult? Yes. Am I going to be inconvenienced? Yes. Am I going to get frustrated? Yes. Just like you because I'm human. But if we want to see results, we got to be like Noah. And what he kept his focus on was the words that God told him, I am going to provide the ark as a means of escape from devastation and destruction. 50 to 60 years, most scholars say. Noah did a lot of waiting. And not just waiting while he was building, but waiting while he is inside the ark. I asked a handful of people this morning as you came into the service, I said, just Bible trivia time real quick. How long was Noah in the ark? I got some interesting answers. Some people said, I think it was seven days. I said, no. If you read Genesis chapter 7, God gives Noah some instructions and says, seven days from now I will send rain. Some people said he was in the ark 40 days. I said, no, that's not what the Bible says. 
Bible says in Genesis chapter 7 verse 4 that it was going to rain. God said it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Somebody said they got really technical and said I think it was 150 days. Said so that's closer. Genesis chapter 7 verse 24 says that's actually when the rain ended. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. But if you read into Genesis chapter 8, get into Genesis chapter 8, and you read all the stories about how Noah sends the raven out to see if there's any dry land, and then he sends the dove out, and the dove goes and comes back, and then he sends the dove out again, and the dove goes and comes back with the olive branch in its, in its beak, and then he sends him out again, and the dove doesn't come back. And at that point, when he comes out and he gets out of the boat, you know how long he was in that boat? 360 days. Our first COVID survivor of being isolated. (laughs) And poor Noah, with all of his family trapped into a boat for a year. Think that over real quick, real good. Can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. So he did a lot of waiting. A lot of waiting. And I'll be honest, my personal takeaway this week. Of many that I could have, my personal takeaway this week from the scripture is I need to prepare and do better at waiting. That is not my spiritual gift. Nor is it most of us who live in North America because we want what we want now. And you've probably seen that prayer, uh, Lord, give me patience, but I want it now. So... I need that in my own life. Noah was obviously a very patient person. So we, don't, we see here not only that God's wrath is coming, but God will provide a means of escape. And God did provide that means of escape. Genesis chapter 8 is when we start reading about the water receding and the doves and the ravens sent out. And then Noah goes out of the boat, Genesis chapter 8 verse 18 you want to flip over to Genesis chapter 8, I told you we were going to hyperspeed. Chapter 8, verse 18, Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. And verse 20 says, he built an altar unto the Lord. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, verse 21. And the Lord said to himself, I'll never again curse the ground on account of man. So what does that tell us? It tells us that we have to take God's means of escape. Just as Noah built the ark, To be the means of escape. The people had to take the means of escape. And unfortunately, Scripture doesn't go into great detail to tell us, but other than Noah and his family, I don't know if at the very end when the rains actually started coming, there are people who have tried to create films and motion pictures with what they have in their imagination that they think might have happened. We don't know. We don't know if people running to the side of the boat, knocking on the boat, saying, let me in as the waters begin to rise. We don't know what happened. But we do know that God did provide the means of escape, and He promised Noah the means of escape. And He provided Noah the means of escape. And He protected Noah with the means of escape. This is a great picture of what Jesus does for us. 
And maybe you find yourself here today and you, you don't, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around and you see there's corruption and there's craziness and chaos in our world and you're going, how do I escape that? How do I get out? The answer is Jesus Christ. He is the ark of escape that God has provided and promised for us. Now, right now, we're in the waiting period. We're waiting. And for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, at some point that ark is going to show up, Jesus is going to return, and he's going to call everybody to himself. And the sad news is, for some on this planet, when that happens, at that point, the door, so to speak, will be shut. And if you have not called upon the name of the Lord, that'll be it. That'll be your last shot. You say, Pastor Jack, what's the point? The point is, don't wait until it's too late. And there are many people in that day that waited until it was too late. There's wickedness all around in our world. And some questions I wrote down I would encourage you to ask yourself this morning are these. Here's the first one. When God looks around at all the wickedness and craziness in the world, when his eyes land on me, when his eyes land on you, Does he see one that is righteous and one that is willing to do whatever God commands? And if I'm honest with you this morning, sometimes when he looks at me, yes, and sometimes I'm the negotiator. What doesn't work well, I've learned and I'm still learning. What doesn't work well is for you and I, what we tend to do in North American Christianity is we take our piece of paper and we write down all the things that we're willing to do for God. And we give it to God and say, get with your secretary. If that meets your approval, send it back to me and I'll get with my secretary and we'll sign it. And that'll be our covenant agreement. That's not the kind of covenant agreement God made with Noah. His covenant agreement, if you get on into chapter 9, you'll discover in chapter 9 verse 12, God said, here's my covenant That I will make between myself and you and every living creature. For all successive generations I will set my bow in the cloud. And it shall be a sign of my covenant between me and the earth. And it will come about when I bring a cloud over the earth. And that rainbow appears in the cloud. I will remember my covenant which is between myself and you and every living creature. That I will never again destroy the earth with water like a flood. It's good news. It's good news. God's promise to Noah. God's promise to us is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, whoever runs to him, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. He is our ark of safety. So are you willing to do what God is asking of you? Are you Willing to do what God has commanded? Are you willing to provide God's means of escape? Because to those who are willing, and to those who will accept God's means of escape, He has promised and provided the means of escape in Christ Jesus. By the way, that is the only means of escape. What's scary about in our world is many people will tell you there's many means of escape. There's many means to go to heaven. There's many ways to spend eternity with God. Say, Pastor Jack, what are a few of those? Let me give you a couple real quick as we end up. 
One is, well, just be good. Just be good. Just be good. I, I cannot be good enough. As a matter of fact, if you ask me if I've sinned today, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll, I'll give myself a break. Maybe I sinned once, at least once, probably. And if I've sinned once and I sin once a day, that's my average, just once a day. That's 365 sins a year times 52 years. Do the math. I'm far from being good. So being good is not the way to get to heaven. Because there is only one good. As a matter of fact, Romans 3.23 says this, There is none righteous. Actually, I think it's verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23 says, The wages of sin, the wages, what I earn as a sinner, what I earn because I have failed God, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, the ark of salvation of God, is His free gift of Jesus Christ. And all I have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and I will be saved. And that's what Noah wanted people to do. And I imagine as he heard the shouts just in my imagination and that water started to rise and his family was safely inside, though he probably was joyous that his family had been spared and he was safe, I dare say he probably was grieving that people outside did not listen to what he said because he was a spokesperson for God and they chose not to listen. Dear friend, listen. If you're here this morning, it's not because I'm all that. It's because this is what God's Word teaches, and I happen to believe God's Word is true, that if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So you say, what? So I can't just be good? No, it's not, it's not just being good. You say, what about if I'm just a member of a church? Fantastic, I'm glad you're a member of a church. Because if you're a child of God, one of the ways God has orchestrated and ordained, if I can use that word, that He has ordained for us to grow is by being plugged into a community, brothers and sisters in Christ, brothers and sisters who are trying to follow Jesus. So being in a church is great. Being in a church won't send you to heaven. And you say, well, I've been a part of Crossroads for 30, 40, 50 years. Fantastic. Awesome. Do you know Jesus? Do you know, Jesus, there's a big difference. My fear is there are many people, not just at Crossroads, perhaps a few hopefully here, but there are many people across the land who are sitting in churches who have their name on a membership roll, but they've never bowed their heart and their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friend, there's a big difference. Surrender yourself to Jesus and then, yes, get plugged into a Bible-believing church so you can grow. and So people can learn from you. Not just so that you can learn from somebody, but so people can learn from you and grow together. So it's not just about being good. It's not just about being in a church. It's about surrendering to Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you that you are the ark of salvation, and you are the ark of safety. You are a shelter, literally from the storms of life, not just the physical rain, but the storms of life. And Lord, I pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Lord, these friends may or may not know, but I was trying to be good and my name was even on a church roll when I was a young teenager and I did not know Jesus. 
there is only one way to you, Lord. Only one way to God, and it is through Jesus Christ. You said you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so I pray this morning before the end of time comes and judgment comes, because we know it is coming again, that we would run to the shelter of Jesus. Dear friend, as you're praying this morning, I just want to ask you again that question. Do you know the Lord? Say, my name is on the roll. No. Do you know Jesus? I remember walking down that aisle in my church. Most people thought I knew Jesus. I'd filled out the form. I dunked in the baptistry and I still didn't know Jesus. I was anxious. I was nervous. But you know what? I remember coming down front just saying, you know what? I really need to know Jesus. Not have my name on a church row. And you know what happened? The people of God broke out in applause, rejoicing. And what kept me from doing that for so many weeks was fear of what people would think. Because I thought, what are they going to think? Because they think I already know Jesus. I pray, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus that there's any fear for anyone in this place that would keep them from doing what you are asking them to do, that it would leave in Jesus' name. We're going to sing a song of invitation in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to stand. Joey's going to lead us. My friend Heath and I will be here at the front. I don't know how God's spoken to you today. Maybe you know the Lord already and you just needed a reminder that He is our ark of salvation. If you don't know Jesus, we'd love to pray with you this morning. Maybe you've been visiting and you say, you know what, I want to put my roots down so I can grow, so I can have fruit. I want to be a part of Crossroads. You can come down and let us know that this morning as well. We're going to stand and sing together. Would you stand with me? Lord, have your way this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing our song of invitation. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.